everyone, my name is Maria Thomas and I work for Allianz Research, a global team of economists, strategists, sector advisors and foresight experts of the Allianz Group, led by Ludovic Suber. Over the past few months, we've seen central banks in advanced economies raise interest rates for the first time in years to cope with record-breaking inflation. So in this special season of tomorrow, we wanted to look at the end of zeronomics. What will the new era of higher interest rates mean for the global economy and capital markets, households and companies? Let's find out with the experts from Allianz Research. Last week, the US Federal Reserve hiked interest rates by another 75 basis points, the latest in a series of moves to combat surging inflation. As a result, 2022 has brought an end to the long era of interest rates being at nearly zero or even negative in some advanced economies. In this episode, Allianz Chief Economist Ludovic Subra tells us more about the end of zeronomics and what is at stake for the global economy. Hello, Ludovic. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, Maria. So low interest rates have been around for so long in advanced economies that uh, for many of our listeners, they may not even remember a world without them. Can you tell us where zeronomics came from and how it's shaped the global economy over the past few decades? You know, the, the idea of um, having uh, nominal interest rates that are negative uh, actually came up uh, when the world was faced with the, the big fear of disinflation after the 2008 crisis, right? So central banks going a very unorthodox way um, with quantitative easing, but some central banks like the European Central Bank also decided to go into negative interest rates as a way to stimulate the economy, to stimulate lending. Um, and, and I think this has been a, a life-sized uh, experiment in a way that we are exiting now uh, with the central banks having to tighten very strongly in the face of um, inflation. And so that, that's why I, I, I coined it zeronomics because I think this world of very low interest rates in, in real terms so basically, uh, you know, not the nominal rates, the one that you see when the central banks do their announcement, but when you correct it for inflation, real interest rates have been negative for quite some time, right? But this idea of going negative with the headline interest rate issuer was, was something that was rather um, debated and, and highly discussed in economic circle, whether it was good, whether it was not fueling asset price inflation, whether it was creating some form of uh, new inequality. So, so we are exiting this phase. And so it's time to take stock. Um, and, and clearly the, the question is whether we will do that ever again, right? Or whether we learn that, you know, we, we can do things without having to distort too much this idea that money has no price, right? Which, which was really uh, the idea bef behind this uh, this era of very low or even negative interest rates. Well, that leads me very well to my next question, which is what's at stake now that interest rates are on the rise? You know, the, the world is in a very funny situation. Funny as it not funny, actually, which is um, we had the, the, the largest pandemic in the last hundred years. The world decided to do a great intervention with central banks doing the heavy lifting, but also fiscal policy being extremely accommodative. And, um, and we wanted to avoid insolvencies and unemployment and a protracted recession at any cost. And, and so we have now a bit of the consequence of that, which is uh, higher inflation and higher debt. It's especially true for the U.S., for the United States, where I think a, a a, a big chunk of the inflation we see comes from overheating that is itself caused uh, from uh, is coming from 
the extremely large uh, fiscal stimulus that the U.S. put into the economy. Actually, President Trump uh, did the the first uh, uh, real-life example of helicopter money, right, by sending checks to every American during the pandemic. And so we we have now um, this, this deceleration, this trifecta of lower growth, higher inflation, and now higher interest rate, which is quite new. Why? Because in, the, in Europe, we have this energy crisis. This is really what is constraining growth um, at the moment and creating the vast majority of the inflation we see. But in the US, we have this overheating. And so central banks, the Fed, and then as a consequence, every central bank on the planet is very determined to fight inflation with the interest rates lever. And so that means that, you know, for example, in 2022, we expect that the Fed could go back as high as 4% for its key uh, rate and that the ECB could even go, you know, closer to um, 2% for its key rate. Something that if you had asked any economists, you know, even nine months ago when the war in Ukraine started, they really thought that the central bank put so this idea that central bank will continue to do whatever it takes and will not use, you know, their power to fight inflation and restore price stability by increasing interest rate, many economists would have thought, no, no, they will have to help anyhow because it's a war, it's a negative supply shock, and why would they even start to increase interest rate if the world is going to recession? And they did. So there is there is two 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 aspects to your question, which is. Central banks are doing what they're expected to do for credibility reasons and also because we believe that in hiking interest rates still works on on uh, on uh, calming down inflation. But there is also this idea that they've surprised a bit um, the world, uh, investors, corporates, families, with the, by the, with the determination with which they decided to act very swiftly, going very high, and to certain um, to certain uh, extent, also maybe risking even the so-called hard lending, right? So, so risking, pushing uh, the economy, especially in the US and certainly also in Europe to some extent, but also in many emerging markets, pushing the economy into uh, a recession for the sake of fighting inflation. And which, which if anybody was worried that central banks were not serious about inf- fighting inflation, well, they're giving you the proof of the pudding right now. And so is it actually going to work, do you think, that will they be able to cool down inflation in 2022? That's that's the $1 billion question. <laughs> um, I do think they will manage to have uh, a substantial effect on calming the demand-driven inflation. So so I do think that, you know, 15% of the inflation in Europe, according to our estimates, is demand-driven, and more 40% of the inflation in the U.S. is demand-driven. So I think, you know, that means, you know, almost half of the inflation can be um, tamed by the Fed going above and beyond. In Europe, uh, the, the problem is that it is a... a um, the, uh, the smaller part that is related to demand, and and so 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 this is a bit the jury is more out I would say on Europe. The big question here is, um, I, I think it will certainly help uh, uh, decrease the social tensions related to inflation. So that that's really also in their mind. They want to prevent the wage price uh, uh, loop. Um, so, so actually, when they're hiking interest rates, they're also sending a message to the unions, for example, in Europe. Um, they also, I think, they, I think it will work also because the the transmission channels, like uh, financial markets in in the US, have reacted very strongly to the very hawkish central bank pivot. And actually, in Europe, the banks, the 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 the, the 
which is the main transmission channel of the monetary policy in Europe, have also started to reduce lending slightly. So, so I think they will succeed, right? But the, the, the cost benefit of this solution in coming down inflation, especially again in Europe, I'm like, I, I know, and, and I think um, uh, Chairman of the Fed Powell actually said that even for the U.S., it's not by hiking interest rate that you're going to decrease the price of gas at the pump, right? And it's particularly true in Europe where we know it's a supply shock, right? Because um, Russia decided to retaliate by stopping any form of energy supplies uh, while the sanctions are still on, the financial sanctions are still on uh, in Russia. So so what what is, what is interesting here is that I think central banks will... Um, they will calm down the overheating, um, but the, the 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 risk is, of course, that they again um, don't manage it as um, precisely as they would like, and so that creates a bit of a, a a stronger deceleration of growth with a remainder of inflation that is still sizable. So in our forecast, for example, we have minus one percent growth for the U.S. and Europe, um, give or take. And we still have, you know, inflation above three or above even three point five percent in both areas of the world, right? So that's essential inflation, um, and so so that's a bit the, the the issue here is that the entire policy toolbox should be put to productive use, right? Um, trade policy, competition policy, also fiscal policy, and right now central banks are really a bit the um, uh, the, the the horsemen of of trying to rein in uh, inflation. When we know that, you know, by reining in inflation through increasing interest rates, they are creating some negative spillover effects, like on on very highly indebted countries um, in the emerging world or highly indebted corporates uh, in the US or, or, or Europe. This is a bit of an unfortunate moment, right? Because they already have some other issues at stake, like the energy bill or, you know, fighting COVID still or adapting to a very rapidly fragmenting world right so so this is this is why it's um it's a bit of a a, a difficult uh, uh, question i i salute the again the uh, the the grit with which they are uh normalizing monetary policy again the balance sheet matters also, also a lot so how much um you know how fast will they reduce uh, the the amount of um, ownership of of government bonds that central bank have, uh, because this is also the quantity of money, if you will, that central banks have been um, uh, putting into the economy. So so I I I again I salute the grit. I I I think they're doing the right thing. I'm still very uncomfortable about what, for example, financial markets are expecting, which is for them to do even more and even faster, or very uncomfortable with so many observers that are uh, uh, berating and belittling central banks for having done historical mistakes. I think it's much more complex than this. And I think that if we really go into um, a, a recession, central banks will have to pause. And so the question is, how will this pause be judged in the face of history, right? Because there will still be a bit of inflation, but you don't want to aggravate uh, the growth deceleration that is indeed caused by many other factors. It's just the inflation impact on uh, the the propensity of people to consume or to invest. Thank you very much, Ludwig. That was very comprehensive. You addressed all of my follow-up questions. <laughs> I'm sorry, Maria. You know, I like to talk. <laughs> it's your favorite topic, I'm sure. Yes, you know, yeah, it's my favorite topic because I really think it's um, it's a new era. You know, people um, used to to coin uh, Bernanke and and um, 
uh, stock. And a lot of people used to call the past 20 years the, um, the great moderation because we didn't have so much volatility. Inflation was very much under control. Growth was meh, but, but we didn't have the swings that we have today, right? And, and, and I really believe there's been a regime switch here. There's been a first, uh, you know, first phase of the regime switch, which was the unprecedented action that central banks um, uh, took to basically fight COVID, right? We paused the world for many months and, you know, to a certain extent, we managed to avoid a form of um, major shock to the economy, right? But we have some um, scaring effects. And on top of that, you have a war and an energy crisis that is really, again, the worst case scenario for central banks because you have an exogenous shock that is causing a big acceleration of prices and you have just pumped into the economy so much that, you know, you hoped that there wouldn't have been so much inflation, right? And you add to this the um, the labor shortages and the supply chain, uh, you know, disruptions. And it's true, it's a bit the perfect storm, right? And central banks are rising to the occasion to remind everybody of, you know, how serious they are in doing what they are supposed to do, but in a world that has changed dramatically and, and in a world where, um, you know, the, the, the fast impact between fiscal and monetary policy is unclear, right? It will fiscal policy take over the baton from monetary policy. I'm not sure. It's very costly to help soothe the purchasing power impact of an energy crisis. Will um, the, the fast normalization of central banks be without causing bankruptcies or without causing um, liquidity issues in the financial market? I'm not sure. And to be fair, I'm concerned about this, this very, um, rapid change of heart, right? The the pace, you know, of the tightening cycle is quite strong. And that's why a lot of people go back as far as the early 80s to understand that the last guy who did that was Volcker and he created a hard landing in the US, right? Very strong recession. So, so people are going back in time trying to compare, but we live in a much more interdependent world. Uh, the, the reason behind the inflation are clearly about the energy crisis, but there is a war at stake. There is also a mending economy from COVID and the many disruptions that have, uh, that have been, you know, I would say absorbed without really making sure we understand them. And so I, I think it's, it's, um, you know, missing the, the elephant in the room, which is the role that, that central banks, uh, that the financial cycle is playing, uh, in the, in the current environment is, is really, um, is, is really, uh, bad, right? So, so I, I encourage every, every company, every CEO, every, uh, policymakers to really, again, take a look at the role that interest rates play in different aspects of the business or on the country management, because, because the, we've been used to working in real terms because there was not so much inflation. So, you know, people didn't look at the difference between nominal terms and real terms and with inflation, Everything is different. If you the Minister of Health, uh, if you the CEO of a transport company, you can see the nominal world very uh, bluntly, you know, in your uh, decision meetings. And so, whatever is happening on the on the on the central bank's world, but is there, whatever is happening on the cost of money, uh, is also changing completely. You know, your investment uh, function is also changing completely the type of arbitrages you do, and so discovering that part of the economy that has been 
clearly put on the back burner for the past 20 years because there were other great things happening and certainly things that were having a bigger role in explaining a lot of things like the rise of China or the financial, the, the, the rapid uh, financial globalization or, you know, the digital dividend and so on. And now we go back to basics and people still, I, I would encourage everybody to reopen the textbook on monetary policy because it's creating, <laughs> uh, this is explaining a lot of what they see, what they what they experience uh, in the daily life of business or running a country. Mm. Well, maybe to end, can we talk about what you think the missing piece of the puzzle is? Because you've you've alluded to it a little bit, the fiscal policy, the trade policy. Could you explain for our listeners what else needs to go alongside um, this tightening of monetary policy to bring down inflation? Uh, again, I mean, there is this there is this assumption, especially the ECB, you know, Isabel Schnabel in Jackson Hall, she basically said, you know, whatever the source of inflation, we still have to hike interest rates uh, because we're working on uh, expectations, right? Anticipation. So we need to anchor uh, inflation expectations in the future. And so as a result, you know, whatever the source of inflation, we have just to hike so that, you know, um, uh, wages don't uh, increase too much and create a feedback loop into prices and and we don't have um, all of the, the the difficulties of having an anchored inflation expectation especially on the credibility of the central bank and how um, how uncomfortable this situation would be in terms of um, how high and how swift they would have to do even more creating for sure a recession right so so and I I would disagree with this I I, I, I think it's a very nice explanation of the rationale behind the ECB trying to keep up with the Jonases, meaning the Fed, right? Uh, but to, um, you know, if you look at the US, if you just go back to pre-Trump trade barriers, so if you if you go back to uh, import tariffs uh, and, and if you favor the consumer over the producer, um, you would get, uh, you would shave off at least 100 basis points of inflation in the US, one point, one and a half point. Um, in Europe, if we just uh, would stop thinking that the energy market is a functioning market and spend uh, 250 billion um, in six months to fix a market that is failing us by design, and we would just have fixed or partly, uh, partially um, capped energy prices, uh, we would have maybe two points of inflation less, right? In the US, you know, 55% of all meat consumed. Um, is coming from four companies. That's called a cartel. That's not a market. So you have to work your competition policy uh, muscles so that you make sure that you are talking about real um, inflation as measured by a price setting mechanism between supply and demand, right? And so forth and so on. Right? On, on fiscal policy, um, there are a lot of talks right now about some of the um, uh, support measures to fight uh, off the energy crisis, creating more inflation. We need to debunk some of this myth. I don't think that the poor people to whom you're giving energy checks uh, that that can help them heat their home and put fuel in their cars so that they can go to work. I don't think this is what is creating inflation, right? What is creating inflation may have been the bubbles that you have created on the property market, for example. So, so I have, and so that means you need macroprudential policies. You need better housing policies. You see, my point is just like once again. You know, people are just putting too much on the plate of central bankers. And and I'm sorry, there are unelected powers and there are elected people that still have a lot to do uh, to calm down inflation. And and I think it's it's fair and the central bank has to do a lot because they are somehow in charge of this and they also are co-responsible for part of it. Um, but I do I do think that 
not seeing the full picture and what the entire policy toolbox is to fight off inflation is is not uh, smart, right? And just, just I give you another example: labeling, you know, and and um, consumer protection in terms of inflation is extremely important. Um, housing and rents, right? Or um, you know, utilities or education and health expenditure, which are super regulated markets. You have to think holistically if you really think that inflation is creating a social risk in your country. And I think we're just waiting for, you know, and praying that central bank action will work. I, I'm not sure it will do all of what we need to do. And more importantly, it is um, the lazy solution when you see some of the sources of inflation being related to mistakes that we've made in the past and we haven't uh, resolved yet. All right. Well, thank you very much, Ludovic. This was very informative. Thank you so much, Maria, for the time and uh, see you soon. Thank you so much for listening. You can find the full report we just spoke about on our website. We'll leave a link in the show notes. If you'd like to discover more of our research, you can also follow the Ludonomics newsletter on LinkedIn. We'll leave a link down below for that too. If you like the podcast, please send it to any of your friends who might like it too and leave us a rating and a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. In the meantime, stay tuned for the next episode.